Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So Lorraine, I've just spent a rather lovely evening with my aunt, who is a nun. We got stuck into the Chardonnay. It was very jolly. Was she wearing her habit? She wasn't. They don't always do that these days, I have to say. But can I just say, yep. she didn't out name drop you. Oh, I don't like Auntie Nana. <laughs> Shall I tell you who her oh, celebrity, you're going to be impressed with this, her you, celebrity. You found a nun with celebrity friends. This with is celebrity a friends. is it not? It is yes. quite impressive. None other than Jack Grealish. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about my <laughs> fascination with Jack Grealish. Do we, we, an, in case anybody doesn't know, yes, fascination he is that Jack lovely Greenish. England football player who's just had that big transfer to Manchester City for £100 million. Anyway, Auntie Maura. Long hair, Trish, that's the other thing. He has long hair. hair and, and he, close family friend. And um, she brought down loads of like lovely signed things, lovely signed photographs. Oh. I mean, they're for the children, but obviously one might. Make, make its way into my possession, I might think. Are you going to put a Jack Grealish poster on oh, your wall? This is a whole scene in my sitcom, this is. It's <laughs> Neil, Neil might like it. You like stealing it. a football poster from a nun. I love it. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. I'm Trish Halpin, and we're on a mission to help you make the most of your magnificent midlife. We'll be tackling everything from mind and body wellness to HRT and your sex drive. Lorraine and I are here to help you have a stylish second act and answer all your midlife questions on fashion, beauty, careers, relationships, family, and as always, the challenges and joys of parenting teens. Welcome, listeners. I'm going to begin today's show by giving Beyonce some advice. <laughs> Now we've talked about name dropping. Listen, I know she's listening to postcards from midlife Trish because, you know, that's what she would do. She's probably listening by the pool on her yacht while she's rearranging Blue Ivy's gigantic shoe collection, <laughs> practicing her scales, JC. Anyway, Queen Bee has just turned 40, and I like to think that now we are in our 50s, you more so than me, Trish, <laughs> I can look back on that decade between 40 and 50 and offer women who've just stepped into this place some thoughts. Yes, I feel like older and wiser applies specifically to being 50 because you go through so much from 40 onwards that you simply couldn't have predicted a lot of it. And so much of it is just this huge, giant surprise, you know, a good surprise and sometimes a bad surprise. Well, you know, I love Beyonce, so I'm offering this kindly. I mean, who doesn't love Beyonce? But anyway, she's just turned 40 and she released this yearbook style collage of pictures of her over the four decades. <laughs> and she made this statement saying that now she was 40, she was going to calm down, make time for herself. She was going to prove to people that she could do all the things they've said she can't do you know this was an amazing time ahead of her and she was really going to relax now honestly yada 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 Beyonce you have no idea what is coming <laughs> your way between 40 and 50 I mean it's a roller coaster there's no 
time for yourself in this decade no, of surgery. No, you just can't you can't predict what's going to happen next when your hormones start to go crazy and your kids grow up and and you kind of rethink your identity and your body morphs into a stranger's body and someone else is looking back at you in the mirror. And that's not necessarily bad. No. It's just a bit of a shock and it's about coming to terms with it. I mean, it's exciting, but I always think making statements about what's next at 40 are probably a bit too premature, aren't they? And um, that's what is slightly wonderful and confusing about midlife. Yes, well, bless Beyonce and her power statements about what's coming next in this fluctuating time. Anyway, on with the show, because we do have a guest today who has got a significant birthday. She's about to turn 50, the brilliant TV and radio presenter, Asma Mir. Yes, Asma is here to talk about the challenges of being a single mother in midlife, one who works full time and gets up at 3.10am. So that's quite a challenge. Yeah, it's a challenge. <laughs> um, we're also going to be chatting about what we've learned in life over the summer. Listen to this, Beyonce, because we've got a really good how to win at midlife. And I'm going to be actually hit hypnotizing young Trish into how to dance like Beyonce. (laughs) No, you won't, because I'm the one who's going to be telling you about hypnotherapy, because I've been uh, dabbling in the last few weeks to help calm my nerves, probably caused by working with you. And your relentless need to actually to mess up the diary. I mean, come on, every 10 minutes, something goes wrong with our diary, doesn't it? Uh, I don't know what happens with the Google Drive or any of it. I think <laughs> I've got some form of diary dyslexia where I just continually get it wrong, which I know really annoys you and is very stressful for you. Anyway, shall we move on to jollier topics? Yes, we shall. For this week's Jibber Jabber, we thought we'd have a little chit chat about what we've learned about ourselves, our lives or interesting things that we've discovered or have happened to us over the summer. So why don't you kick things off, Lorraine, with one of your newfound pearls of midlife wisdom? Yeah, I'm going to bring you one of my women who is one of my midlife heroes. You know, we said in our episode last week that we were going to talk about the lives of women and the women that inspired us that we, we just did. enjoyed meeting. So I've got um, a friend called Nikki, who I'm now calling the 60-year-old raver. She turned 60 over the <laughs> summer. She's a really lovely, I guess, normal woman, and she just won't let it go. She is 60, and that's not depressing her, but she's took on this is what she did in the summer she hired an rv (laughs) and she went to a festival Mm. saw the kaiser chiefs got very drunk fell in a bush (laughs) six-year-old nikki had a beautiful swim as well camped overnight with her friend she was just saying that 60 is just not different from 16 and she's just not going to give into it she's going to just look forward to all these kind of pivotal birthdays, all these pivotal moments. And she is who she is. And this is who we are when we get to this age and this stage. And we don't have to act in any way or be any different from who we were before. So that's the thing I learned this summer, that you can rebel or be rebellious mm-hmm. right the way through to your 60s, 70s and 80s. And that mm. is what I'm looking forward to. Trish. Oh, well, that sounds Fabulous. And and talking of rebellious women, what I was thinking about this summer was because it was 40 years ago since the Greenham Common March, wasn't it? The Peace March against the nuclear weapons. So 40 years ago, in 1981, this small group of women left their homes in Wales to walk 130 miles to protest the arrival of those US nuclear warheads at RAF Greenham Common. And it ended up leading to kind of formation of this women's peace camp um, where there was sort of 70,000 women were in and out of it over 19 years. And what kind 
has struck me about seeing some coverage, not huge amounts of coverage in the press this summer, was that God, we lived through that. I was probably 14, you were 13 at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and I was kind of aware of it. But I think, you know, the media just portrayed them as these sort of loony, lefty hippies. Yeah. But what they actually did was was really remarkable. And it, it struck me as well. It's, it wasn't ever something we discussed at home or even at school. And we were always being made to watching geography classes, those awful, you know, what do you do in a nuclear war, yeah. you know, go into a bunker. Bunker <laughs> in the garden. Yeah. Yeah, well, it woke us up at night, of... that kind of worrying know, about exactly. what we do in a nuclear war. And, you know, not surprised at how amazing then that there were women, but it wasn't something that I would ever, you know, I don't know, it just didn't really register with me. But there's this brilliant new website called Greenham Women Everywhere, and it interviews women across the country who took part you can listen and watch all these videos and they're like girls who were 16 and 17 yeah. at the time and I was like why wasn't I all kind of activist well, like that at the time podcast is too short for us to answer that question yes that's but, true. so I do have quite uh, interactive memories of Greenham actually mm. <laughs> a surprising story so my father was in the Ministry of Defence and he was one of the policemen looking after oh, the security right. at Greenham so I've got good and bad memories of the rebellious mm-hmm. women of Greenham because he would have to go away from home for quite long periods of time to stay in the camp and around the camp and he actually got really ill with pneumonia because it wasn't always the most hygienic I mean they couldn't be it was very difficult to be um, hygienic and I remember thinking you know and he was in bed and and almost went to hospital it was quite a difficult time Mm. but it was his job so he would come back get better and then he'd have to go away again we lived in Cornwall obviously so it's quite some way from Cornwall you know and he had very you know he had some quite close long chats and relationships with the women you know he was very in favor of some of it and he was very mm. against some of it and you know it was so we had it around quite a lot in the house I mean my mum was very cross about the women at Green <laughs> because of the long-term effect of yes. not having dad um, around and having yeah. to look after two kids on her yeah. own and him coming back and being you know incapacitated for quite a long time yes it just makes you really think doesn't it about the big movements and moments yes. of the yeah. 80s and 90s yeah. that we lived through and we say that Gen Z are incredibly activists there was a lot of activism then yeah. but obviously if it was female activism it was kind of largely ignored yeah. by the media and I suppose our kids will be looking back and it'll be Extinction Rebellion won't it for them yeah. if you think it's a kind of similar thing so what else what else well, have you learned this summer back to the death chat with my oh, <laughs> So my wonderful dad and uh, one of my parents are both uh, in their early 80s. And I haven't seen them for 18 months, obviously, because of the pandemic. And Mm -hmm. they live in Cornwall and Cornwall was a no-go zone for everybody for that time. So this time in the summer, I went to see them. I went on my own without the family because we didn't want to accidentally kill them with COVID. But while I got there, I realised that this was probably the moment to have that chat about what what do you want Ooh, intentions yes on you know we had jane coldwell mm. from age uk on the show last year and she said have the chat so that yeah. they don't do things they don't want to do by accident because you haven't talked to them so i did have a very long chat and it was nice actually it was uh, useful found out a bit about them and then i came back and talked to my teenagers about this and they said could they have the chat immediately with me? <laughs> but i'm only 53 <laughs> and they wanted to know all the things I don't like, Trish, so that when oh. they put me in a home, as one of them said, they mm. can make sure I have to listen to jazz, which I hate, obviously, <laughs> and that I'll have to wear green, which doesn't suit me. 
polyester green. I mean, they did a whole yes. list of things that they're going to do just to get me back for any. Oh, and future. they won't let you watch any J Lo movies or listen no. to any Beyonce music, will they? I think that's by the. They won't put my Keanu picture on no. the wall, will they? <laughs> exactly. I've had a similar chat with my dad actually because obviously my mum died 18 years ago and he remarried. He's lovely, lovely, lovely wife. But my siblings and I were like, well, what's what's going to happen? Because he's remarried. And I did have a chat with him about things like, where will he go? What will he do? Will he be with mum? Will he be with... And, it, you know, it, was, it wasn't as difficult as I thought it was going to be. And it just, I think it probably reassured him as well and reassured me and, and then the rest of the siblings when I told them. So that was really good. One thing about the aged piece, the aged or aged F, aged father, is that I really worry about him because he's got really bad feet and it's really restricting his feet. kind of this being... Is a distraction. Yeah. This is a distraction emotion, isn't it? Yes, exactly. You're not worried about death, you're worried about feet. I'm worried about feet. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, so... He's sorting it out, but seeking on to something I realised this summer is that I've got really good feet now. <laughs> and I always had... Yes, you do say the most ridiculous I, things. Am I boasting about my, my feet? Were they like covered in hair? Oh, and you oh had eight little, painful little trotters, painful little, you know, <laughs> trotters that I had destroyed over the years of wearing silly Sneaker shoes. shoes. Yeah. It kind of started actually when I was a sort of teenager and I used to wear these little Chinese slippers with no... Oh. So, I know, honestly. And my mum would say, they'll ruin your feet. They'll ruin your feet. She would I right. listen to her? Anyway, she was right. Anyway, I've had years and years and years and years of like yeah. really bad ball of foot pain. But because I haven't been wearing shoes because of lockdown, haven't been going into an office, haven't been, I've been wearing trainers, really good footwear. And my lovely Joanna Hall walk active, yeah. which I've been doing, I know I bang on about it a lot, but she does... Um, and I, you know, I can see it pays off now. Lots of stuff with your feet to kind of get your stretch, the front of your feet, your ankle strength. And she's because she's all about sort of uh, foot, knee, and hip alignment. And I've realised that I don't get ball of foot pain anymore. And it's just, it's quite remarkable, quite a revelation. So I'm going to pop on the Facebook group. Um, there's a helpful. link to some kind of exercises and things that you can do for your feet. You know, as we get older, can I just say, we need to keep our feet. We need to be thinking about our feet. You know how I feel about feet, don't you? I know you struggle with your I can't have anyone your feet. touch them or look at them or I'm almost phobic. Mm. feet so I made it through that conversation <laughs> I mean I say ridiculous things as well that's the joy of this podcast isn't it mm. so also I noticed on holiday and you're not one for social media mm. but you do occasionally what's I do jump on occasionally you had a little bit of a name drop session yourself didn't you who have you seen? I did some celebrity spotting on um, on a couple of trips. Well, I won't say where it was to protect, you know, these people's privacy. All I can say, I ticked off my celeb spotting list. Kira Knightley, no less, and Richard Maidley. So... That's a tough that, spot. You get that was quite good. Richard that Maitley. was quite good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that was my celeb spotting. Come oh, on. I'm throwing some in. Go on. You, down in Cornwall, where I was. I mean, I'm, this is the one I'm going to get the most points for. Yeah. Nick Knowles, <laughs> in the village, buying his coffee. Lovely. <laughs> Damien Lewis, looking oh. happy. 
on oh, the beach. Oh, good. Now, I didn't see him, but his yacht was in the bay, Tom Cruise. Oh, just <laughs> so you saw Tom Cruise's yacht. He was in Cornwall, wasn't he? He was filming something. Did he set foot on dry land, we, we ask ourselves, or was no, he just on we, that big yacht? We had a long conversation about how long he could hold his breath, because, you know, he had to hold it for five minutes in Mission Impossible 7000 or oh. something. And we thought he could, if he could hold his breath for long enough to come to shore under the water, he could probably seamlessly slip into life in Cornwall. <laughs> he would. He'd just be incognito. Nobody yeah. would recognise him. No. Absolutely not. Oh, well, there's some things that have kept us occupied this summer. So a bit of a random little collection of potpourri. I think we're done now. We're done. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Scottish radio presenter Asma Mir made history as the voice that launched Times Radio one year ago. The 49-year-old breakfast show star who previously presented Saturday Live on Radio 4 with Reverend Richard Coles and has guest presented Woman's Hour gets up for work at 3.10am four days a week, something which became even more of a challenge earlier this year after she separated from her husband of 14 years. Can you present a national news radio show from home while your five-year-old wakes up and gets ready for school is the question Asma grappled with as a single mum. She wrote emotionally about tying her daughter's pigtails while on mute as politicians answered her probing questions and many of us followed her new journey on Twitter where she often shares her parenting experience with a raw and thoughtful honesty. Born in Glasgow, Asma is the daughter of first-generation Pakistani immigrants and started her career in TV in 1993. Apart from co-presenting The Breakfast Show, Asma is writing a joint memoir with her mum, Almas, which is due out in 2023. On the brink of turning 50, Asma is here to talk us through her midlife journey. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Asma. Thank you. I'm so excited. I'm a bit hot, but I'm very excited. It's very hot today, isn't it? <laughs> it is. So when you're getting up at 3.10 in the morning, I'm sure this is the question everybody asks you, is how do you do it? How do you kind of keep going through the day? Is it like lots of strong coffee? How are you getting there on the energy and everything? So when I first started, and this is obviously my second or maybe third time doing early mornings I did them at STV did them at five live a little bit and then I've done them now and obviously I'm 49 now so it's you know it's a slightly different proposition so I tried a few things when I first started this job uh, last June June 2020 the first thing I thought was okay I'll just 
you know, continue my normal life. Uh, and I'm not a go to bed early person at all. My parents were not go to bed early people. We used to go to bed at like one, two o'clock in the morning. I tried that and that was disastrous because uh, obviously I, then I would need a nap. And then once you have a nap in the day, it's a bit like being a toddler. Once you have a nap in the day, then you've had too much sleep and then you can't sleep at night. And then it just goes on. It's this awful spiral. What you have to do is you have to just push through. Mm -hmm. You have to push through and push through and push through. And straight after lunch, you always feel like you want to die. You want to just lie down and sleep for a hundred years. But I go to the gym straight after work. And that makes me even more tired, actually. Uh, So that doesn't really work, but, you know, it makes me feel good. Um, And then by about, it gets to basically between six and eight, it's just car crash time. It's awful. It's really, really bad. There's a lot of shouting that goes on. Mm. And it's not, that's not just me. That's my six-year-old. <laughs> because obviously she just, you know, wants to hang out with her mummy. And I'm just mm. always in a bad mood because uh, I'm also a single mom. So I'm kind of doing everything. Plus looking at the clock and thinking, I really need to get to bed. I really need to get to bed. So it's a bit of a horror show, really, between six and eight. And then I kind of collapse into bed around about half past eight. And if I get to sleep at half past eight, if she Let's me because obviously she will wake me up now because I'm the only one here. If I get to bed at half eight, then that's you know that's easy street. Getting up at ten past three is not as awful as it would be if I went to bed at eleven. Obviously, mm. it's kind of like shift work, isn't it? So that's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on Postcards from Midlife. I was noticing on Twitter you put up a really lovely picture of your daughter quietly sat beside you reading a book <laughs> while you were broadcasting live on air, yeah. and also little pictures of her come, you know, sending her off to get snacks and come back and putting it. How have you managed that? Because you did ask on Twitter as well, Mm. what am I going to do about uh, childcare? Because who's going to come into my house at three o'clock in the morning and look after my daughter and help get her to school? What was going through your mind? You took the job because it's a brilliant job and you were the first voice to launch a new radio station, which is just fantastic. A woman and an Asian woman doing that. And you, you couldn't have said no, but how did you sort all that out? And what's going through your head emotionally? So when I took the job, Mike, of domestic circumstances were very different. I didn't know that I was going to separate from my husband. And then when that all happened, I thought, okay, I don't know uh, what am I going to do because I leave the house, you know, crazy o'clock. So the first thing I did was I thought, okay, I need to find someone who will look after her. And I knew that would be almost impossible because really, and I have a two bedroom house. So she's in one bedroom, I'm in the other. So there's not really anywhere for anyone to sleep like a nanny or anything like that I don't have a nanny I wish I did so my circumstances made it so difficult so that's when I I kind of put out on Twitter because I felt like a lot of the men around me although they were really really lovely and really sympathetic they just for most men and there are always exceptions it's not their reality their reality is I'm going to go to work I'm going to provide for my family and the children's stuff will just happen Especially if you're getting up at three o'clock in the morning, you know, you don't expect to be doing both. It's impossible to do both. You cannot leave the house at three o'clock in the morning and look after a small child. I felt that there was a bit of a disconnect between just people's reality, people's kind of experience of childcare is, you know, it's like, it's kind of like something that just happens magically. It's not, but I mean, when I put it on, on social media, I just, there were so many women who got it straight away. And of course, these are women who are mostly in a very privileged position like me. I have a great job, a well-paid job. I live in a house that I own, but that actually doesn't help in this particular problem. This is just a kind of weird conundrum that I didn't know how I was going to solve. A lot of people gave me advice, said, do this, do that. The things that some women have gone through, I mean, it's just like, oh, I slept on the floor and the nanny had my bed. 
And I was just kind of like, well, you did what? For how many years? Oh, seven years. You slept on the floor for seven years. Oh, gosh. Okay, that's a, I'm not going to do that. Um, but, you know, uh, move in with me. I have a great house and you can, and, you know, my daughter and your daughter. Can play. It was just completely bizarre and wonderful and very, very, I just got so much support, you know, and I was actually looking for a practical like, have I missed something? Is there a magical solution to this? Yeah. So ultimately, then I went through a couple of agencies and they tried and and I just felt like there were a couple of kind of young women who said they were willing to do it. But I just got the impression that they would do it for a while and then they'd get offered a more sensible job with more sensible hours. And then I would have to get my daughter first getting used to them and then unused to them. And I just thought, I just, I can't, do, I just can't do that. So what happens now is that her dad now comes in at four o'clock in the morning because he's now more settled, you know, and that was very important to me as well for him to kind of get settled in his own place. He comes at four o'clock in the morning. We have a kind of silent handover and he sleeps on the sofa for a couple of hours and he wakes her up at seven o'clock and takes her to school. Is it Weird. worth it? Does it fulfill you to keep doing the job and live like that? I mean, this is a question a lot of women, particularly mm. women on shift work, you know, NHS women being, it's, it's hard, isn't it? Women will make it work if they can. Yes, women will make it work. And that is true. And again, I don't want to generalise because, you know, some men work yeah. crazily hard to keep everything, yeah. all the balls in the air. But... I think there's always been an expectation that women will somehow make it work, you know, and, and kind of a lot of people in your life can just keep dumping more and more stuff on you, more responsibility and more responsibility until one day you just say, actually, I don't think that's actually physically possible. You know, I suppose I have made it work, but it's not ideal. She doesn't like it. So for the first two to three months, I was at home every day. And she loved that. She yeah. just like, she's like, she got her mum back because for a whole year, I was not there in the morning. I didn't take her to school. I did pick her up from school. And then when I said I was going to go back, I did it very gradually. I did it one day and then I did it two days and then up to three days a week. She was just not happy. She just had to get used to it really. So is it worth it? It is worth it because I love the job and setting a good example to her. I don't think that when she's older, she'll say, I remember that time when I was six years old and you didn't used to take me to school. I just feel like she won't either won't remember or she won't care because we'll make better memories after that. Well, I have to say, and I'm sure Trish would say the same, that's not something my children have ever said to me, my four kids who are now in their no, teenage yeah. years. But in March, you separated from your husband, you've been married for 14 years, and you wrote a really powerful piece in the Times, actually, which was really moving, I thought. It was really lovely writing. I'm going to read a little bit out because I think it's good for our listeners. And you wrote, everything shifts when you finally find the blockage, the knot, the pebble in the throat. Two weeks ago, I realised that something had been staring me in the face all along, and now my marriage is over. It was really powerful. How did you come come to that realization in as a woman in your late 40s it's a very confusing time for all of us anyway and what did you learn you realize that you have been going through the motions for a long time that you are not really a husband and wife anymore you're kind of like a tag team of people who are just managing things you've drifted you know all the cliches and it happens to a lot of people and I think at that point I had been disengaging you know myself for a while the reason I know this is because I see a counsellor now once a week and the counsellor did say that to me she says you, it sounds to me you disengaged a long time ago and you've done your kind of grieving so to speak mm. you know grieving for a marriage maybe some time ago and I was kind of a bit of a light bulb moment for me and I'm sure there are lots of people again listening to this men and women who think actually yeah you know if it happened tomorrow then it would just kind of be for the best and 
I'm kind of already accepting of it. So it sounds like you've, you've actually got some clarity now on the situation, looking back on it with your counselling. There are probably many women going through this at the moment. Have you got any specific advice you'd like to share with them? You know, what's so weird is that I know two women who are going through exactly the same thing. What's quite dangerous about this moment is that it, it sends out little shockwaves, I think, around your friendship circle but I've noticed that some of the people that I expect to be in touch have not and when I asked one of them she just said to me she said I can't cope with this I cannot cope with this because I should have done what you did I should have split with my husband and I feel guilty I feel weak I feel pathetic I just said to her "You, you do what you have to do if you think you can't be a single parent And it's not, my God, it's so difficult. I'm so exhausted. I've had about three hours sleep. If you don't think you can do that, then that's a decision that you make. And I'm not going to judge you for it. And then another friend of mine, just bizarrely, just like two months after I split with my husband, pretty much exactly the same thing happened to her. When this happens to you, a lot of people recognize elements of it in their own story in their own history that can be quite difficult but you just have to let give people their space if they don't want to kind of look in the ugly mirror then Mm -hmm. I can kind of understand that in terms of advice it's just about whether you can live with it you know the live with this situation and again the same I'm sure would apply to my husband you know it's like do you want to continue like this or would it actually be a bit painful and then better in the long run? And you have to weigh everything up. You have to weigh out the finances, where you would live, who would help you. It's such a personal bespoke decision. And mm. if you feel like, you know what, I'll just hang on in there because I don't know any other way or whatever, then then that's fine. But you have to kind of make a decision and be able to live with yourself. It's not easy. So it's a huge transition at a point in life, which is a big transition anyway. And we talk to women on the show. One of the things we always talk about is what their experience of perimenopause, what they experience physically and emotionally, because there are a lot of emotional symptoms of perimenopause have been. What has been your experience of that physically and emotionally? So what I love is that you, it feels like you can't move for a discussion about perimenopause and menopause now. And I think that's fantastic. (laughs) This was just something that, you know, my mum went through and you know was never discussed obviously I mean she's like 76 years old she's um, born and brought well born and brought up to the age of like 21 in Pakistan so you know she's not going to discuss that kind of stuff with me Mm. I didn't really know it existed really Um, no and then the perimenopause had no idea about that until a couple of years ago when I looked at I thought oh yes that that did this that all happened to me so for me it was um Occasionally I would wake up and like my chest would be like a damp patch. I think this is post having my baby. So it would have been like 44, 45, that kind of thing. And then also my periods, crazy. That is really annoying. That's like being a teenager again. You have no idea when your periods are going to come. It was very inconvenient, you know. Um, So I was very much a 28-day cycle. I was always on a Thursday this Thursday, that Thursday, it never changed, never shifted. Um, and then, you know, in, in the last couple of years, it's like whenever it takes its fancy. Two periods, <laughs> one period, no periods. Oh, here's an extra one. Here's nothing. It's just, it's absolutely crazy. And yeah, that kind of all began to make sense when I read up a bit about it. Did you, have you had treatment? Did you talk to your doctor about it? Is it something that's debilitating for you day to day? It's not. No, it's, it's, it's not. I, I think it just feels like uh, it's inconvenient. 
Um, and the sweating thing is like, I haven't had that in a while, actually. I had some breast pain. I was on holiday two years, two, three years ago. And I had some breast pain in that, um, like, uh, it was so sensitive that if my daughter, like, banged into me, it would yeah. just be like, it would be like someone had kind of, I don't know, dug out a filling. It was, but it was, it was like 20 times worse than that. And that went on for about four days. I remember thinking, well, what the heck is that? And of course, the minute you think, the first thing you think is, oh my God, I must have breast cancer. You're Googling it and it says, mm-hmm. breast pain is not breast cancer. But go and see your doctor anyway. So I went to see a doctor and they gave me a mammogram. So that was, uh, and everything was fine. And he said to me, it's probably just your age. I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. Put up with it. <laughs> and then, then they were, he was very nice about it. And he gave me a little leaflet, which of course I've now lost. Uh, having a mammogram was a real... Oh, it's painful, That's, isn't it? So basically, yeah. I mean, because you always see the shots on the news, don't you, of the, of the women mm. and they're from behind. You don't actually know what's going on oh, around yeah. the other side. So that was a shock. It's like, you know, one of those Breville toasters. Like, well, basically, they just flatten <laughs> the breast in that. Try being, really a, horrible. try being a very short, flat-chested woman. It's really <laughs> difficult. I always have to apologise. I, I had one last week and the lady said we've had four flat-chested women in here today I said thank you (laughs) we're all out today as if it couldn't get any worse (laughs) Lorraine and I you know we started this podcast because we didn't know about perimenopause and we've been working in the media for years and you know we didn't talk to our mums about it so you obviously didn't talk to your mum about it but we love that you're you're writing a memoir with your mum and she's 76 Mm. so what's that about does she talk about her midlife experience in that as well not so much I mean the idea for the kind of book was you know I've always wanted to write a book who hasn't the idea was something that came to me a couple of years ago I wonder I had quite a difficult childhood you know I had a great family life very loving four kids mum and dad you know fantastic great all the rest of it but it was challenging because it was the 70s and it was Glasgow and there weren't very many people that looked like me Uh, Where we lived, I was the only one. My dad chose not to live within the community. He decided to live in like the poshest part of this suburb just outside Glasgow, which I don't know if that was maybe the best idea. It was really difficult. There were some fun times where we were all just kids together. And then there were some really terrible times. And there was a particular incident which has kind of really has made me who I am. That's not necessarily a good thing where I kind of crossed the school bully and he said, right, you know, no one's to speak to her. And I was like, oh, oh, okay, right. But uh, he meant it. And so no one spoke to me for, I don't know how many months it was now. It was months and months and months. And also my mum wasn't there at the time. She was in Pakistan. I was just bereft and I was lost. I was really lonely because I was 12 Mm. years old and no one would speak to me for months, like literally no one. And I kind of slightly, almost, lost my voice but then it also makes you very self-reliant it makes you not bothered about what people think about you because you think well I can't change it so Mm -hmm. I'm not really going to bother I know a lot of people who are very bothered about people think about them and I literally couldn't give a damn just couldn't you know Mm -hmm. so I don't know that's good or bad and I always used to say to my mom mom I don't understand why you know why when people are horrible to you and they were they would be horrible to her as well oh you know you smell and go and stand Mm -hmm. over there and all that kind of stuff and then it just it's such so obvious isn't it why A, because she was an adult, and B, because she'd had an amazing grounding of her formative years had been spent amongst people who looked like her. She was able to just relax, to be herself, to never worry about, you know, when someone was going to turn on her and say, you're not like us, we're not going to speak to you. So she had, you know, 20 years of that grounding, and that's where all your confidence, everything Mm -hmm. 
is built. And I obviously didn't have that. So I wanted to kind of, as I started talking to her about her childhood, and then I actually worked out that, that yes, my mum had had 20 years of blissful middle-class existence. She was head girl. She was head of this. She was champion at netball and badminton and whatever. But she had this awful home life where mm. there was a stepmom and all this stuff came out and I just thought actually this is really interesting so it's kind of about my formative years up to about you know 12 15 or whatever and then my mum's as well because she came over to Glasgow when she was 23 in the 60s mm-hmm. so it's basically those two stories told together but I think my mum's is definitely more interesting than mine definitely well you must come back on and and talk about that because you've worked in an industry that's kind of been predominantly white for all these years and done incredibly well in that. What's been your experience of that? You've had racist abuse in the street, haven't you? Talk us through your experience and what you've learned and how our listeners could benefit from that. Well, it's really difficult because, I, again, it's, it's so rooted in how old you are. Someone who's Asian, who's 20 now, has such different experience how I felt when I was 20. When I was growing up, so I was born in 1971. The 70s and the 80s were kind of my formative years. I grew up in Glasgow as well. And I used to always wish that I'd grown up in somewhere like London because I felt that I would have been more invisible. And I used to yearn for invisibility. I hated the fact that I would stand out everywhere I went. I would be the only brown person, literally the only one. School photo, only one, you know, just always. There were times when children were obviously horrible to you, but then children are, and children are to be forgiven because children are children. It's the adults, really, that are, it's, you know, you're less forgiving of. And people used to be horrible. They just used to, you know, pass you in the street and say horrible things to you or just say that you smelt or, you know, whatever. Um, So that was kind of difficult, but you just kind of put up with it. I know my brother had a huge amount of racist abuse at school, but because he was a boy, it was seen to be very, you know, he had to, he just toughed it out. Whereas I just cried a lot. My sister was better at kind of integrating more so she didn't suffer as much and then my little brother he has Asperger's so he used to get bullied and mocked when they tried to put him in mainstream school so that was the story back then in my experience and again this is only my experience as a 49 year old woman I feel that things are very different now people are more open because they see more than one person who is not white you know I mean when I started at Radio 5 Live it was 2001 there's possibly no worse time as a Muslim woman to join any broadcaster than 2001, you know, 9-11 happened. And it was really, really difficult, actually. It was really difficult. And, you know, people would make jokes, not at me, but, you know, about other communities. And I remember once there was a news bulletin where they used the P word. So I was given a news bulletin to read. And can you believe it? The Anne Finally story was... was about, I still remember it, and I still got all the emails as well, so I can prove all of this. The, the Anne Finally story on a bulletin I was asked to read at the BBC, you know, roughly 2002, 2003, had the P word in it. And I just said, oh, I don't, I don't really want to read that. And they were like, okay, that's fine. You don't have to. That's, if you don't want to, it's fine. And, and I just kind of thought, extraordinary. But don't you think that's a bit... And I, so I remember, um, so, but it went out on other, because it's all kind of syndicated, the BBC, yeah. it went mm-hmm. out on other networks. It went out on, I think, Radio 1, and it went out possibly on, on somewhere else. And I, so I complained to the head of news. I said, you know, I just, I don't think you should be using this word. And he just said, well, but it's not offensive. And I said, but it's mm-hmm. offensive to me. Uh, and he was just like, mm, no, no. And that just shows you how far, how far we have come. Yeah. That's the only kind of positive I will decide I what is it. offensive to you, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember thinking, okay, this, that's the bad place that we're in. But 
that would not happen now. And so okay. that's got to be a good thing. Yeah. Well, you've obviously developed or had to develop a lot of coping strategies from being that that young schoolgirl to just kind of dealing with life in general and midlife, as we know, throws so many things at you. How do you look after yourself? So I go to the gym twice a week mm-hmm. and do all the kind of strength training, the weight training, which is which is so much fun and better than just plodding along on a treadmill, yeah. which, you know, we all used to do years ago and, and had zero effect. So I do that and that makes me feel really cool and, you know, bitch and strong <laughs> and empowered and all that yeah. stuff. I have my counselling once a week. Mm-hmm. That's it. And that's probably not enough. Um, so what I have now decided is that I am now going to go out every Friday night because I tried to go out the other night to do some work, actually. I had to go and record an interview. And my daughter was so aghast that I would go out without her to see other people that she was just, she was in tears. She was doing that stereotypical thing of hanging onto my leg as I was trying to get out the door. And she made me late and everything. And I thought, okay, this is not good. I mean, obviously, no one's been out, you know, for the last 18 yeah. months. I get that. But she seems to have forgotten that mummy can go out as well as daddy. So now what I do is I have a rule every Friday night, I'm going to go out. Mm-hmm. And she did that. She put a little finger up and said, that is not going to happen. And I said, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and it's happening. And that's that. And she oh. will get used to it, you know, because she has to be able to see that women, again, it's mm-hmm. this, our role, our only real role is not just to look after them. It's mm-hmm. to go out and work if you so choose. And it's to go out and yeah. see some crap at the cinema if that's, if that's what you want to do. Well, it's role modelling as well, isn't it? If you don't go out, she might think, well, I'm, I shouldn't go out because I've told mum she can't go out. So yeah. it's that kind of, it pays back in, in the end. Looking after yourself shows them how to look yeah. after themselves. But we've had quite a lot of women on the show that said they've had this eureka moment in their mid-40s where they've decided not to be perfectionists yeah. anymore, not to overthink things anymore. Yeah. Have you had any of them? <laughs> all of them, eureka all of them. Moments. <laughs> all of them. What so... sticks out for you? I mean, I think the pandemic has helped as well, hasn't yes. it? In a way, it was a terrible thing to say because the yeah. pandemic is a terrible thing. What made you think? Um, it's made us think, you know, you just don't say yes to everything. And also, if someone is really not someone who makes you feel good about yourself, just don't bother with them. I mean, I did that a while ago, actually. That's been reinforced, really, because, again, you've seen fewer people and the people you want to reestablish contact with are the people that, you know, you, yeah. you really care about. Speaking my mind at work very much, saying, I think I need to do the next interview or shall we speak to the woman first? Shall we do this? Shall we do that? And just yeah, not exactly. not giving a damn anymore, you know, because if you're challenging the, the kind of perceived narrative, whatever it might be, you're always going to be seen as a, as a bit difficult and a troublemaker but you know that's how change happens and it's fine you know sometimes you're still the only woman in the room and you have to be hard coming out of a relationship and you you know you're a couple you're together now you're single so you're you've got a kind of different um sort of status really you are a single woman now in your late 40s it doesn't sound like you've had a lot of time to think about this but has dating come on your radar at all yet you at that Um, stage to be honest with you i would love to go on a date i really would i would i would love that. Oh, I wouldn't. I, I, <laughs> I won't um, tell James. He won't mind. <laughs> I would love just the idea of going out on a date is just mm. fantastic because there is something wonderful. I mean, a lot of people are very, you know, like oh, dates are horrendous. I think it depends. If I don't think I would go on a blind date. Well, in fact, I know I would not go on a blind date because I don't want to waste my time. You know, if it's mm. someone that I like and they ask me out, 
for someone that you know likes me and I know them or I know at least know who they are then I absolutely would but it's just that thing of just kind of getting a little bit tiny bit dressed up not too much mind you know we don't want to get too dressed up anymore do we the idea of a relationship though fills me with absolute horror because I mean no I know not all relationships are like this but why is it that you know everyone puts their best face on for the first couple of months or years and then it just falls away life starts to challenge you and then you know you've not been out together for oh five years oh six years I mean that's just mad isn't it can we talk to you about curry please and your youtube (laughs) your youtube curry because obviously I'm the world's most hopeless cook this is an official (laughs) actual official thing but I loved watching your curry cooking on mm. uh, youtube and we That's, that and was I a long time ago loved it though it's brilliant and trish and i are foodies but mm. when you get to this bit of life mm. you do have to think a bit about what what a lot of women talk to us about the midlife muffin top just oh. our appearance generally and how it all changes you are still on telly and so there's a little bit more pressure probably on on women in the public eye like you it's very difficult because i am definitely a lot larger and heavier than i was after had my daughter actually bizarrely and the picture that was was uh, of me in the Sunday Times with my daughter in the background which was like maybe three or four months ago about me working from home I have three chins in that picture and I remember looking at it and thinking you think you have three well no but I counted them there were three because I was laughing at that point they they made me laugh he made me laugh and then he took a picture which is just unkind so I had three chins in that picture and I kind of thought you know what it's fine because that is a moment in time that I can look back on in years and say I had three chins because I was unhappy and I was having to work from home and everything was awful. And then, you know, obviously in five years or three years more time, things will be different. Anyway, since then, I have lost one stone, which is fantastic. I wanted to lose the weight for my 50th, which is in a month. Uh, so that's not going to happen, but oh. it's fine. Yeah, but yeah, I've, yeah lost, anyway. I've lost half the weight. I mean, the, the kind of hours I work, I think it's just really difficult. But I will, yeah. I will do it and I will get there. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, one more stone to go. Before we go, so you are going to be 50, mm. which is very exciting. We've both mm. been through it. Quite liked being 50. Pretend I'm JLo's party planner, okay? <laughs> I can get you. I can get you anyone that you can have any performance, any guests. What's the fantasy 50th birthday party? Oh, my goodness. So, first of all, obviously, I'm not having a fantasy 50th birthday because it's just too much work and I'm not really in that headspace. But at some point, I will have it. It might be delayed. A fantasy 50th birthday. Oh, my God, that's so difficult. Um, I think what actually wear? J-Lo would be there. I mean, J-Lo I'm a big fan there. of J-Lo. On Times Radio Breakfast, I'm always talking about how fantastic J-Lo is because, you know, she's been around. She's been around the block, no pun intended. She was there kind of, you know, in 2001 when I was... Um, when I first came to London and I, I don't know, I have a connection with JLo. I love her. And the <laughs> fact that she's going out with her old boyfriend as well is just so oh, cool. I yeah. love that. You can do what she um, wants. What would I be wearing? Now, that's interesting. I think it'd be a big flouncing kind of flouncy killing Eve kind of tutu oh, thing, yes. right? Yes. It'll be yes. that, but with trainers. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think that sounds doable. That's a doable party. We'll get on that, won't we? Yeah. <laughs> Sort of party planning services. Yes. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Asma. You've been so honest and I think really helpful because you are going through what a lot of women on our Facebook group talk about, what a lot of our friends are talking about, and it is so specific to midlife and you're navigating it 
really well you're kind of thriving through this really difficult time <laughs> it does sound really difficult so thank you for being so honest thank I really you. appreciate that oh thank you We have arrived at that time in the show called How to Win at Midlife, in which Lorraine and I aim to impart something smart, helpful and useful. Uh, It might be something completely new or something we've been intrigued by and wanted to try or made a hash of the first time we gave it a go. Um, And this week, we're going to be delving into the subconscious with hypnotherapy, because I've been trying it out for the past few weeks um, via a great app. But you actually tried it the old fashioned way, didn't you, many years ago with an actual real life therapist? Um, Yes, I did. How did that go for you? Well, I was volunteered by my team to have hypnotherapy for anger and temper. (laughs) (laughs) So I was writing a piece about it for The Guardian and uh, they said, would you go and see, who who can we send to see a hypnotherapist? And they said, uh, let's send Lorraine, my team said, um, Mm -hmm. Guardian of the magazine I was working on. And I went and I did that and it was, I guess it kind of worked. I mean, it's a funny thing, isn't it? You think Mm. you're going to be put to sleep and woken up and you'll have no pants on and an onion in your mouth. But actually, you know, it was all over in 10 minutes and I don't know what, whether it affected me or not. I'm still a very angry person. You've tempered it down with the HRT. So the hypnotherapy, it's not like that kind of Paul McKenna stage Mm. stuff or Car the Snake in Jungle Book was what I always thought, you know, with his zoomy eyes. But basically, we all go into a trance several times a day, but we probably don't realise it. It's, you know, when your brain just kind of drifts off and you're, you know, and and you don't realise and you're you're driving along and you think, oh, my God, I can't remember (laughs) that last two minutes of driving or whatever so it's very natural for your body to go into a trance-like state and then hypnotherapy is all about talking to your subconscious because you obviously have your conscious mind which is the rational logical bit and then you have the subconscious which is your more imaginative creative emotive may i just stop you there trisha and ask you why you're having hypnotherapy (laughs) explain me this A couple of things. The first thing is, it's going to be a year until my twins leave home and go to university. And I'm really feeling anxious about it. And I I keep sort of jumping forwards and jumping forwards and, and being negative feeling negative about it rather than and I'm trying to stop that I'm trying to stop thinking ahead and then the other thing is the sort of work-life balance thing of switching off because we work from home and we're doing what we do which is a kind of freelancey thing there's no on and off is there there's no boundaries so I kind of feel like I need to kind of get on on top of that so that's what I've been using it for back into your subconscious okay so back into my subconscious I've kind of tried meditation but I really struggle with it because I'm not very good at the empty mind thing so this is hypnotherapy is much easier so I've been using this app called Clementine started by a woman called Kim Palmer who suffered for years from really bad anxiety and she joined forces with a a therapist called Hazel Gale who honestly has the most relaxing and reassuring voice and she she happens to be a world kickboxing champion too so she's quite quite good at dealing with rage I should think and this app offers daily mantras bite-sized hypnotherapy sessions and longer confidence courses designed to tackle like issues around that women like of all ages face around anxiety imposter syndrome etc so Hazel explains to me that it is possible to rewire your subconscious and rewrite the stories you live by and tell yourself through something called habit stacking and essentially which is repeatedly training in better thought processes and relaxation techniques so it's lots of sort of little you build up lots of little um sort of mantras little sessions that kind of thing 
and it really helps that's what helps it stick in your subconscious and um humans are good at routines and positive habits that stick so that's kind of why why it's kind of really good so imagine this if you did a two-minute breathing exercise every time you went to the loo okay that's kind of possible we all like to escape to the loo that would be 87 minutes of relaxation time that you would create for yourself in a week because i think we often think well i can't find time to do this so it's trying to you know, rewire your brain to thinking, yes, I can do this. There's all sorts of different opportunities in the day. And then one other thing that she she told me that was really interesting was when you have anxiety, you can change it for excitement because apparently for your brain to go from anxious to calm is quite a big leap and it can take about 25 minutes. But if you turn it into excitement, it can deal with it in a it, very, very quickly because it's That's physiologically perfect. on a similar level. So if like, I'm like saying to myself, oh God, the kids are going and it's going to be oh awful. And, you know, if I say how exciting, it's really exciting for them. It's going to be exciting for me and Neil. And then you, your brain starts searching for things to make it excited. I like that. Good, yeah, I it? like that. And I think that makes sense. That's the difference between you and I, isn't it? Because I'm, mm. I'm before perimenopause made me anxious I was in a permanently excited state even in in, <laughs> in troublesome situations I would find it quite exciting <laughs> yes. yeah. you yeah. were different so it would have been easier for me to go to calm yes it would have been for you because those states would have made you anxious yes and, exactly. and I was excited so it's taking a bit longer for you to well that might explain why people around me will say how do you get over this so quickly and I was thinking because I'm more or less just excited all the time about everything yeah, so. yeah exactly and actually being excited is a good mindset to be in isn't it so I've programmed the app to send me a couple of mantras throughout the day so before I get out of bed I now listen to this little four minute session called my day my way uh, which is all about starting the day right and understanding the that you have the power to choose how you want to experience your day and to uh, you have the ability to change your mood and respond to things in a more positive way and then I've been doing a little 10 to 15 minute session in the afternoon little sort of almost like a hypnotherapy nana nap which recharges your mind and then if I'm having one of those days where I can't seem to switch off and um, you know I'm still sending emails at seven or whatever there's one called wrap up your work day which is again it's only like 10 10 minutes so it's kind of these little resets of talking to your subconscious and it helps you manage these ongoing little stresses I think because I think if you if you deal with the little ongoing stresses then they don't build into the bigger ones do you feel better I'm getting there actually I think it's good I feel like I've had a very calm week which has been really nice and if anybody would like to try this you will be pleased to know that we have some memberships of the app to give away so we're going to post that on the Facebook group so if you would like to try it yourself we can give you a little free trial go at it which will be amazing but of course you can still have one-to-one sessions and if anybody's interested in that there isn't a regulatory body in the UK so you have to be quite careful so it's best to make sure you go to one of these associations like there's the Association for Professional Hypnosis and Psychotherapy. There is the Association for Solution-Focused Hypnotherapy. So do your research and go via one of those. And again, we'll put the links on the Facebook group. So you've already talked about being an excited person, Lorraine, and I know this is your most exciting part of the show because it's Nostalgia Noodle, isn't it? What have you got up your sleeve this week? Well, we all love Nostalgia Noodle, don't we? So Mm -hmm. I was having a little lunch this week with some friends and um, 
at the end of one of the conversations, somebody made a joke and a a friend of mine went, boom, boom. Do you remember that? Basil brush. (laughs) Basil brush. Basil brush. Yes. So bonkers. We were all the same age, obviously. Obviously, basil brush was from our childhood and Mm -hmm. um, boom, boom. We used to do this really raucous laugh and then go boom, boom. And then that kind of stays through families through the years. And I was just taken down a route of mm. TV catchphrases oh, yes. from the 80s and 90s. Trish, I'm going to read a couple out, right? And yeah. you're going to tell me which TV programme they came from. You ready? I am. Go, Easy go. start. Easy start in. Lovely jubbly. Oh, oh, I don't know. I know the... Oh, um, uh, Only Fools and Horses. Okay, phew. Thank phew, you. Thank God. God. Oh, my God. Failed nice. at the first hurdle. Nice to see you. To, to see, see you. Nice. nice. What's that? Oh, that's a generation game. Well done. Well done. Don't tell him your name, Pike. Oh, I know that's Dad's army, but I don't. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. I thought, I'm kind of thinking that I'm supposed to finish the catchphrase, but that is the catchphrase. Yeah. Yeah, yes, I'm giving you. <laughs> oh, my God, Nana. I'm giving you a catchphrase. Sorry, and, and I just have to tell you which program right, it's from. Okay, all right. Okay, all right. This one, I don't think you're going to get, actually. Um, go on, then. Oh, I could crush a grape. Um, oh, gosh. I, my, my little mind is searching for it. I, I know it, but I don't know it. Go on. Opened all the drawers. Can't find anything, can you? No. That's Stu Francis from Cracker Jack. Oh, Cracker, Cracker Jack? Jack. Yes, I love Cracker Jack. That was really good. It's not the Crankies, which is what I thought it was. I, that's where my, my little mind went, actually. Opened the Crankies drawer and shut and if, it very quickly. Well, open it again because they were on uh, Marigold Hotel. That seems <laughs> you have got to watch that because that's all manner of oddity and strangeness. Um, Nanu Nanu was the last one you went. Oh, Mork and Mindy. Oh, Mork you and did Mindy. Get that one. Yeah, I love that. Oh, oh I like right, this. Right. This has probably been good for my brain, brain health. You know, like a quiz. It's good. Oh, I've got one for you because actually, unconnectedly, this this does have a catchphrase. But this was my nostalgia noodle. It's Frothy Man. Don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> It was that polar bear in the um, Cresta cream soda ads. Do you remember that? And I wasn't necessarily thinking about the ad and the catchphrase, but because you mentioned it, but I was thinking about when I used to get my seven pence pocket money when I was seven, because we always got a pence for each, one P for each year we were. And and I'd go round the shop with my sister and I'd buy cream soda because it basically tasted like, do you remember cream soda? It, was like, it used to make me feel really sick. It's oh like LucasAid. Whatever's in LucasAid makes me vomit yes. spontaneously. It's I must be allergic. so sickly and so sweet. But it was basically like liquid, fizzy, frothy custard cream biscuits, I yes, think, wasn't it? Was. it? Yes. Yeah, and I'd make a massive bottle of the stuff. It's quite quite amazing. But anyway, the polar bear had a catchphrase. He wore sunglasses. He was very cool. It's frothy, man. <laughs> <laughs> no you drawers can, opening. You, you can say that when we go into <laughs> prep. And we get our coffee for one of our meetings. You can say it's, it's I dare you to say it's Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm doing yeah. it. Before we go today, we would like to invite you to a beauty festival. So get your glad rags on and you can come and join me and Trish at the Clarins Virtual Beauty Festival on Friday, October the 15th, 2021 at 7pm. Yes, get your Friday night cocktails at the ready as we'll be recording a special skincare and beauty themed live episode of Postcards from Midlife in person together. It'll be filmed so you can watch us in action too. So follow our Instagram page and Facebook group for details of how 
how to join the Clarence Virtual Beauty Festival. I'm very extremely excited about this one, Trish, I can tell you. Mm. Uh, we have to say goodbye for now because we're at the end of this episode of Postcards from Midlife. And in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, please tell your friends and all the midlife women you know. And remember to subscribe on your podcast provider and rate and review us too. And make sure you download your episodes because they count on our listener numbers then. And that would be really helpful. So thank you. And don't forget to join us on Facebook, on Instagram or email us at hello at post cards from midlife.com goodbye goodbye planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.